Welcome to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. My name is Chris Triano, joined always by Stephen Canistrisi. Hello. Sorry, I kind of forgot about this whole hello thing, and I didn't have like a fun one planned. <laughs> so sorry, everybody. You just get the normal. We'll have to add a new document into our Google Drive folder, and you can just keep a list of ideas <laughs> of of how to vary your hello each right. time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll think of something. <laughs> uh, this is. Thank you for joining us. This is our latest episode where we'll be interviewing Dr. William Hall, which for the remainder of the episode will be referred to as Bill. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Bill did get his doctorate at Kent State University, and you'll hear in the interview some really interesting information about his studies there and how it kind of had him lean in the direction of early American brass bands and how he got involved in his current band out in Nebraska. And yeah, a lot of really great information and really nice guy. We've been talking to him for a while now, so it was great to finally have the opportunity to to chat with him. Yeah, this was a fun one to record. I learned a lot. I, I mean, I always learn a lot interviewing uh, people for these episodes, but um, I think this one in particular uh, kind of cleared up some things for me. And as always, you can follow along with our show notes on our website at www.eabbpodcast.com. Uh, show notes for this episode, show notes for all previous episodes, as well as a resource tab that Stephen and I have put together that includes useful links if you wanted to further research on your own, uh, links to all the available CDs that are currently available by all the bands that currently and recently have previously existed, uh, as well as a list of all the bands that currently and have previously existed as reenactment bands. So a lot of great information in that resource tab that you can kind of browse maybe as you're listening to this episode. Uh, we'd really appreciate it there. And we are on social media. Follow yes, us. Follow us in social media land on all of them, especially Twitter, because Stephen was just saying how he feels lonely on our social media Twitter. So maybe if you have a Twitter account, go over there and, I don't know, what, tweet at us? Is that is that what tweet it is? Tweet at us, yeah. Follow us. It's at EABB Podcast, I believe, on, on Twitter. Um, sometimes I post jokes. Uh, sometimes I make a typo in a tweet. That's always fun to catch. Uh, you can laugh at me on Twitter. But yeah, we, uh, we like Chris said, we're on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Um, you can find us on your preferred platform uh, and keep up to date there. We post some exclusive stuff, especially on YouTube. Um, so following us uh, everywhere is a good way to make sure you don't miss out on anything. So enjoy our interview with Bill Hall from the First Nebraska Volunteers Brass Band. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Bill, for coming on to the Early American Brass Band podcast this afternoon. It's awesome to have you. Uh, I think probably our our first uh, inland United States or I think everybody else that we've interviewed has been on the coast so far. So it's it's awesome to, to have you on the show this time. How are you doing? Doing really well. Thanks for inviting me. I have looked forward to this day for several weeks uh, ever since you uh, extended the invitation. I've listened to most of the 
episodes and have really enjoyed them. They're quite varied, and I've learned uh, quite a bit of details from them. Awesome. Thank you so much. That means a lot. That That's cool to hear that, that people out there are listening, so that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Would you mind maybe giving us a little bit of background on maybe your... Uh, how you got into being a musician and, and kind of uh, the journey to uh, what eventually led to your involvement in early American brass bands? Okay. Well, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, so I got started uh, by attending a pre-conservatory called uh, Cleveland Music School Settlement. And I did, um, you know, children's music theory first, then uh, piano and uh, you know, in elementary school, fifth grade, right? Everybody starts band. So I, I picked up the trumpets there. And uh, when I got to junior high, the band was getting ready to go to contest and they needed baritone players. So I got drafted and <laughs> I loved the instrument. Um, I adapted to it actually very quickly. Um, and uh, so I played that throughout high school and most of my undergraduate um, days. Was that all reading treble clef euphonium or did you transition to bass clef reading also? Well, initially it was treble clef. Then uh, one year the um, the director said, you know, I need trombones in the orchestra. I have a valve trombone, hmm. but all of the music is in bass clef. Yeah, so go. here you go. <laughs> and so I figured out how to read bass clef uh, and yeah, so, um, I, you know, I flip back and forth between treble and bass. Great. Yeah. So, um, after high school, I went to Ohio state. Um, you know, everybody's got to be in that marching band, you know, and, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, the, the concert band was quite good also. And, um, decided to major in trombone, which I picked up trombone after the valve trombone in ninth grade. Um, you know, Cleveland's an orchestral town, you know, <laughs> and I studied with guys in the, in the orchestra and, um, I'm good. The, when I was, when I was in school, there weren't many euphonium opportunities. Um, all there were, were the, you know, military bands. And, um, I thought maybe I was going to be in an orchestra. So, uh, I, I majored in, in trombone and, uh, bass, bass trombone. Hmm. Uh, taught school for a few years and then uh, auditioned for Pershing's own and was accepted. Uh, actually auditioned on both baritone and trombone. I, I had my choice of which one to play. Oh, wow. And uh, once again, told, uh, chose trombone. And um, so I spent two years in Pershing's own, mostly in the ceremonial band. Um, I have some ceremonial band stories if you want to play. You want to know what life is like in the army ceremonial band. I can oh, yeah. um, and then there was an opening in the army field band for a trombone and the concert band. And uh, I'd much rather do that than march around and stand for an hour and a half on a black tarmac in the summertime. Yeah, and go. so <laughs> I, I transferred there. And uh, then in 1981, I decided that, uh, full-time a career in the military wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I got out um, and um, eventually found my way back into high school teaching, decided that uh, either I needed a, I, I kind of maxed out what I could do at that level of high school. I either wanted to 
moved to a much larger high school or teach college. So I decided I needed to go back and get my PhD, which I did. So um, I went to Kent State and uh, was there for three years, had a marvelous time. And then like everybody to find it, you, you move where the job is, right? I got mm -hmm, a job of offer course. here in Nebraska. And this is what brought me from Ohio to uh, here <laughs> in the heartland there or midland uh, yeah. or flyover state, if you will. And, <laughs> um, and so we've been here for 23 years and uh, uh, we, we enjoy living here. So that, cool. I don't know, that, that covers a lot of territory. I don't know if that covers everything you wanted to know. Yeah, of course. You, what yeah. what what job brought you to Nebraska? So um, there was a, a director of bands and music ed position at Dana College, which is a Lutheran college. Um, and so um, I I came here for that. Brought the wife, <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, uh, so yeah, for that. And then eventually the college closed, um, and I retired. So gotcha. <laughs> oh well. While we're on the educational kind of section or background section of the, of the show, I'm, I'm curious, what, what was your PhD research on? Yes, well, the PhD uh, was a um, critical performing edition of Franz Kramer's 1825 Parthia for band. So it, it, you may not, as a brass player, may not know the name Franz Kramer, but uh, yeah. you know, Dominic would know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, because uh, people know him because he wrote many uh, octets, har many harmony music. He yeah, I remember. Wrote... I remember. I took a, a. I did my master's degree at Penn State, and I took a um, uh, wind band literature class. And I think we looked at a few of his works uh, when we were looking at Beethoven octets and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so quite popular, um, and he was. Um, quite a well-honored um, musician. Um, back in those days, you were invited to join the professional music societies. And um, he had a position in the court where he traveled with the emperor. And so when they would go all to these different cities like Paris or Milan or other places, they would always in, uh, invite uh, Cromer to join uh, those uh, music societies. So. Um, yeah, he was he was quite the guy. Um, what was the instrumentation for that uh, that piece that you did the that edition? Parthia? For? Yeah, yeah. So we actually don't know what the original Parthia uh, instrumentation was. Um, it was arranged for an Austrian military band by Joseph Resnicek. Uh, interestingly enough, Joseph Resnicek's grandson was the late Romantic composer Emil. Von Resnicek. So uh, it's quite a big um, Austrian family. So uh, his uh, the instrumentation for that band, uh, piccolo, A-flat sopranino clarinet. Uh, you never want to hear an A-flat sopranino <laughs> clarinet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like it? Yikes. Wow. Um, and uh, two E-flat clarinets, uh, four B-flat clarinets, three bassoons, a concha bassoon, uh, serpent or off a clyde, um, two keyed trumpets. So the Anton uh, Weidinger, do you know Anton Weidinger, the Haydn concerto, Hummel no, concerto? No. Okay, so you know keyed bugles, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, in Austria, there were keyed trumpets. And uh, so 
uh, when most of Western Europe went to key bugles, Austria went to the key trumpets. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, they're not as good an instrument. <laughs> can you can you describe the differences between the two? Oh, okay, sure. So first of all, the key trumpet is cylindrical, right? Mm -hmm. And the key bugle is conical. Mm -hmm. So as you uh, drill holes in the bore of the instrument and getting closer and closer to the bell, on the key trumpet, they have to stay closer to the same size. But on the key bugle, just like the saxophone, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. Well, that allows for more sound to get out. That allows you to adjust for intonation better than the key trumpet does. And so um, the I've never heard one, but the description of a key trumpet is, is that uh, the, the closer you got to the bell, the, the keys closer to the bell, the tone quality suffered a lot. So hmm. it wasn't a consistent sound. Gotcha. But gotcha. it was an important instrument um, because, again, the Hummel Concerto and the Haydn Trumpet Concertos, which are standard, standard works, uh, were written for that instrument. So gotcha. the, the Austrian military band had those. Uh, Germans would have had two focal horns. Um, but they had those. They had some natural trumpets, some natural horns, three trombones, and percussion. Gotcha. So that, that was... That was the instrumentation. So um, my uh, mentor, my uh, doctor father, um, showed me this and says, do you know this work? And I said, well, no, I don't. And I'm looking through and I'm going, hey, this is a pretty pretty good uh, piece of music. And it fills a gap. You know, we have, um, we have some um, pieces from the, from the uh, French a revolution that are for a large band. We have some pieces for a small band. And then we have um, we have some other pieces. We have like the Mendelssohn Overture and we start getting into, but there's, there's nothing right in this gap that's really good. So I thought maybe this piece could be that. So yeah. uh, I got copies of the score and uh, unbeknownst to um, David Whitwell. Do you know the name David Whitwell? It doesn't ring you, a bell. You should know David Whitwell. David Whitwell was quite a scholar. Uh, so for his master's degree, he went to uh, Germany or to Salzburg. He was a horn player. And while he was there, he uh, went to all of these um, libraries all over Germany and France and Italy and Austria looking for windworks. And so he uncovered quite a bit. Subsequently, he was a band director at Cal State Northridge. Um, he wrote a 10 volume history ah. and literature of the wind band. And uh, you should check the George Mason library. They do have it. I've, I've, uh, I've looked through now, now that you mentioned that he published those, those volumes, the name rings a bell. <laughs> I yeah. remember looking through a few of those when I was, I was doing a little bit of research for a class last year. Yeah. And uh, there's also a concise, history mm -hmm. um uh which yeah that's it's good but uh it's exhaustive just exhausted yeah. and he lists yeah. all of these pieces from all of these libraries well he found the score to this piece and scratched out an edition of his own and which he he sold to you know college bands and stuff he didn't know that there was a set of parts mm -hmm. and so i got both and i put them together and um 
you know, try to reconcile all of the articulation differences between score and parts mm-hmm. and, and produce that for my, my PhD. So I wow. uh, awesome. also did a lot of history study um, of European bands and stuff like that. Wow. That's that. fantastic. Gotcha. So, so we know that you've always kind of had this interest in, in band history and, and brass history. What uh, was the, the push that made you get more hands-on with early American uh, brass music. Yeah, so I've always had an interest. It, as a matter of fact, when I did my master's at Catholic, we had a bibliography project. And I did mine on uh, the development of the sax horns. Uh, so I was interested then. That was that was wonderful. You guys get the opportunity where you're at to go to the Library of Congress mm-hmm. all the time. And so I did all of my work at the Library of Congress back in those days. And mm-hmm. it was wonderful having access to books that most college libraries don't have. Yeah. So anyhow, I did that. And so that's part of it. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I got an opportunity to play in a, in a German brass band. So polka mm-hmm. band, but German brass band, also in an Italian band. And mm-hmm. those bands have incredible histories. They go back into the 19th century. I think I've always been interested in that. Um, but how about the Civil War bands? Uh, yeah. So I'm not sure when I first heard first Civil War band music. Um, I know when I heard the first British brass band, but I'm not sure about Civil War. It might have been the Heritage Americana. Hmm. When I was in the Army Field Band, uh, one of our players, a euphonium player, Carlisle Weber, I don't know if you guys know Carlisle, hmm. um, so he used to go down and play at Catholic. I don't know if he was enrolled in a degree or not, but so he knew Robert Garofalo. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think, I don't know if Mark Gelrod was in on this project, but with the Smithsonian and with uh, Robert Garofalo, they put together from the Smithsonian's collection um, a Civil War brass band. They made some concerts and some appearances and uh, also cut a record. So I think that might have been my first um, exposure to Civil War brass bands. And uh, so here in Nebraska, um, they <laughs> after I started teaching at Dana, I heard, well, there's a Civil War band in Fremont, which is a town that's 30 miles from us. And a lot of the, the local musicians from where I live uh, in Blair were driving there and being a part of that. And I got curious uh, about it, and it was an invitation-only band, and I wanted to know why I didn't have an invitation. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I managed to get an invitation and, and join the band. Mm-hmm. And um, this wasn't a brass band, though. This was a concert band. Gotcha. And um, so uh, I, the, the way that this band started was uh, there's a – Fremont is named after the Civil War General uh, John C. Fremont. And Fremont, all, before the Civil War, was a governor in California. Before that, he and Kit Carson uh, were explorers and opened up a lot of the routes into California. So he was uh-huh. known um, as the Pathfinder. Hmm. And um, so he was kind of a big guy. And he, in the Civil War, he was made 
the uh, commanding general of um, west of the Mississippi at, at the beginning of the war. And he had his headquarters in St. Louis. Um, well, so Fremont, Nebraska was named after him, just like Fremont, California is. Hmm. And they have a summer festival, like every town has a summer festival. And they named it after John C. Fremont. So uh, back in about 1989, um, a lawyer uh, who is a part of the Community Foundation says, hey, why don't we have a Civil War band for our, you know, our festival? And mm -hmm. so they asked this band director, retired band director, uh, if he would put one together. And I think his intention was to put together uh, an all brass band, but it, the idea got so popular and he had so many friends and mm -hmm. couldn't say no, yeah, yeah. Um, that eventually it was about a 45-piece concert band. <laughs> well, of course, there are a few issues with a 45-piece mixed woodwind and brass band trying to play uh, Civil War music. There, mm -hmm. um, For a lot of the arrangements, there are no woodwind parts at all, yeah. unless you're doing the, um, the band from, um, oh, Port, Port Royal. Port Royal, Port yeah. Royal, uh, band. And so... What do you do with all these woodwinds that make up most of the band? And um, so they ended up just playing modern country band music. Huh. And uh, and they play about five times a year. And uh, it was fun. We used to do a lot of things. And that really sparked my interest there into what the real Civil War band was like. So I heard about the first um, vintage band festival in, in Northfield, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. and went up there. Uh, and I heard the, Dod the Dodwood Southern Band and Yari Villanueva brought the 26th North Carolina Band and the 1st Brigade Band out of Wisconsin was there. And I heard it and I'm going, this is marvelous. This is marvelous music. And I fell in love with it then. So I did some arranging because online at the Library of Congress, were some uh, parts, and I think they still are some that are online, mm -hmm. um, digitized. Yep. And so I, I got some things and made some arrangements and stuff and tried to play them and then discovered that they were too hard for some of the players. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, anyhow, mm -hmm. that band uh, lost its rehearsal space about 2010 or so, and they decided to disband. And so there was the equipment, there was this band, and nothing was going on. In the meantime, I had started a, an auditioned adult concert band in Omaha. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were playing around and stuff like that. And uh, a library in Plattsmouth, um, not Plattsmouth, um, La Vista, it's a southern suburb of Omaha, was going to have house the uh, the National 150 Years uh, Traveling Civil War Exhibit. Hmm. And they were going to be the only um, library in Nebraska to have this. And one of the librarians said, hey, why don't we put together a Civil War band for this? <laughs> so uh, we got, it, got wind of that and uh, put together about a 14-piece Civil War band, I I got some arrangements from Bob Bass, who you just interviewed with the Old Town Brass and mm -hmm. some other things I had. And we put on about an hour concert for the opening of that exhibit. Cool. 
And we had a great time doing that. And then uh, one of our musicians lives in a town that was celebrating its sesquicentennial. And that happens a lot in this area where towns are celebrating their 150th anniversary because um, the, most of us are railroad towns around here. And they were started uh, when the Transcontinental Railroad went through. Gotcha. So um, we got invited to play for that. And that was fun. We said, hey, why don't we start up a Civil War <laughs> band for real? Yeah. And so we got um, we got some of the uniforms from the, the first uh, band. And uh, eventually, little by little, started getting some uh, period instruments and stuff uh, for our band. But we decided to remain all brass. We resisted the woodwind players who <laughs> wanted to join us and uh, <laughs> and focused on um, authentic Civil War period arrangements and played. And wow, I've really talked all around the, how did I get started? Yeah, I? no, it's great. That's a, that's exactly what we wanted. It, it's awesome. Is yeah. the, is the, uh, is the I should we should probably know this, but is the Nebraska Civil War connection uh, mainly tied to individuals that uh, were drawn on to enlist from there, or was there any on the ground action that happened in Nebraska? Okay, there was no fighting in Nebraska. Nebraska at the time of the Civil War was a territory, hmm. um, and this is kind of I think a cool thing that Nebraskans like is that, you know, when, when uh, President Lincoln asked each of the states to send volunteers, he was looking for, I think at that time, a total of 75,000 yeah. volunteers. Um, the territories didn't have to send anything, anyone. Mm -hmm. But Nebraska said, no, we're patriotic. We want to send regiment too. And so the first Nebraska regiment was organized in, uh, I think mustered in in June of 1861. Hmm. and um, and went to war um, and uh, they fought uh, the two notable battles that they fought in were at Fort Donelson which uh, the regiment uh, had a major part in and also in the Battle of Shiloh or Pittsburgh Landing as it's known in the north hmm. um, and they had a major part in the second day of that battle hmm. um, they marched on Corinth with the rest of uh, the army and um, went to Memphis and eventually across the Mississippi River to Helena, Arkansas. And, um, and about that time is the August, September, 1862. And so we know that uh, in um, July, August, I can't remember the date, the, um, the order went out from the War Department to abandon um, the disband, the regimental bands in favor of brigade bands. Mm -hmm. And uh, that eventually got by uh, August, September um, to where our band was, the first Nebraska, and uh, they were disbanded <laughs> at that time. Yeah. Most of them very happily disbanded. They did mm -hmm. not like military life at all now especially going through some of those those early western theater battles you know it, it was rough out there at the beginning for sure yeah and you know there was a lot of disease and the interesting thing about the march on 
on Corinth. Corinth, Mississippi was a major railroad crossroads. And so the Union wanted to get that so that the Confederates couldn't shuttle equipment and supplies around. But um, that's only like 30 miles south of where the Battle of Shiloh was. Hmm. Um, but they took a month to get there. Yeah. They would advance a mile, advance a mile and dig in. I think they were afraid that the Confederates were going to surprise them like they did the first day at Shiloh. So yeah. they yeah. weren't going to be surprised. So it took them, it took them a month to get there. Wow. And in the meantime, it's raining because this is the spring. It rained at Shiloh. It rains and it rains and rains. Well, you put men out in the mud, um, you know, for that long, people get sick. Yeah. And the band had one of their members died. Mm -hmm. uh, they got really, really sick. They evacuated this band member to Cincinnati to a military hospital. He died in the military hospital. That's the only band member that died, but they were pretty fed up. So they wanted to be disbanded. Mm. and the commander of the regiment uh, said, no, 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 we need to have our band and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a you know, point of pride for many regiments. Yeah, yeah. So the members of the band wrote the Secretary of the War, and they wrote President Lincoln and said, we want out. <laughs> One of the reasons is, is that when they enlisted, they thought that this regiment was going to stay in Nebraska and defend Nebraska against Indian attack. Hmm. And no, they marched them off. And so yeah. some of these guys going, wait a minute, this is not what we enlisted for. Yeah. And so they weren't too happy. People were getting sick and stuff. So they wrote. And uh, I have a copy of, of a letter that one of the members wrote to a friend in, in, uh, back in, in Omaha telling about, we think we're going to get out really soon because we wrote the Secretary of War. Yeah, well. And then I'm going through I'm going through the, the archives, the Nebraska archives, and I'm actually handling the actual order books and stuff for the regiment. And I come across this order, and it says, "No member of the First Nebraska Regiment will write to the Secretary of War or the President of the United States without permission of the <laughs> commanding <laughs> officer." Yeah. I'm saying. Ah, I know what this is about. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yikes. So anyhow, most of the members then left uh, when, when they were disbanded by um, the Department of War. They, uh, they were very happy and they scattered. Mm -hmm. A few of them joined other regiments or, you know, became a, a company bugler, but mm -hmm. most of them left. And, yeah, sure. uh, so, so your band, the first, uh, first Nebraska Volunteer Brass Band, is a reenactment, or is a yeah, is a reenacting band of that original uh, Nebraska brass band. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, yeah, great. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cool. As, do you guys have any pictures or anything of the original band that you try to uh, base impressions off of, or are we not that nitty gritty? <laughs> yeah, no, and and this is one of the differences between the Eastern Theater, as in the Army of the Potomac, and the, the Western Theater is we didn't have the Matthew Brady's and uh, some of the other photographers that worked for him. Uh, we didn't have them as um, going along. Now, I do know the name of the photographer who was supposed to go as photographer with the regiment, 
but um, we cannot find any military uh, photographs of his at all. We mm -hmm. have actually, we only have a handful that um, occur from later uh, in Nebraska history. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we don't have any photos. Mm -hmm. There is a photo of a soldier uh, that he had taken in a, a St. Louis studio in his uh, full dress uniform. And so he's got the, you know, the lighter uh, sky blue trousers and he's got the long frock coat and, you know, he's got all of his weapons and stuff. And he has the much hated Hardy hat. Do you know the Hardy hat? No. Okay. The Hardy hat would look like a cowboy hat, except one side is up straight. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this side is kind of, kind of and, and it's up straight and there's an eagle and some of them have feathers in them, but the soldiers hated those hats. Um, they much preferred either the forage cap or the, the kepi mm -hmm. um, cap. And I think it's because they were, they were a pain to take care of, uh, you know, and put in their knapsack, whatever their, whatever they put their clothes in and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, by the way, did you know that bands had a wagon to carry their stuff in when they were marching from places to places? The bandwagon? <laughs> yeah, they were, well, I mean, yeah, they yeah, yeah. on it, they yeah. marched, but they had their own wagon. So when you see those pictures of, uh, you know, maybe the Army of the Potomac, someplace you see these thousands of wagons that are lined up. One of those is a bandwagon. <laughs> it's a bandwagon. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Bill, so with the, the band currently, are you guys still using the uniforms from the original uh, Fremont band when that one disbanded or have you guys changed? Yeah, we're doing, we're, we're doing basically the original. Um, so <laughs> we're not fortunate to be near uh, someone who has a collection of instruments that we can take advantage of. Mm -hmm. And um, nor are we near people who like to give money, you know, foundation mm -hmm. money. So yeah. we're, <laughs> We're using the same sack coats and and hats that they had back then. Now, when uh, they when they got those originally, were they uh, based on the same uniforms that would have been issued to the Nebraska soldiers, or are they kind of just generic? No. <laughs> I, I don't think we really know what hmm. the you know when at the beginning of the Civil War there were two colors of pants. Not everybody had sky blue pants. Some regiments had had the dark blue pants. Oh, I didn't and, know that there were dark blue pants. <laughs> yeah, uh, they were older, and so they decided to run out the stock. So mm -hmm. we don't know we don't know what <laughs> yeah, yeah. we don't know what pants we got. We don't know if we have the dark blue pants or the light blue pants. <laughs> and interestingly enough, you can see some Civil War uh, photographs where regiments have both dark and light blue pants at the same uh -huh. time in the same regiment. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> so we don't know. <laughs> so you, we're using we use the um, sort of the kepi rather than forage hats, and we use mm -hmm. uh, sack um, sack coats, um, and then uh, dark or some of the guys have sky blue pants. So we're mixed also. Gotcha. Um, so we we do that, and um, that's our uniform. Uh, instrument wise, we started out with all modern instruments. We didn't inherit any of the other, the Fremont bass band did not have any historical instruments. And so we started with modern. Um, our priorities were quality music, quality original authentic music, 
second priority was um, getting original instruments, and third priority was getting um, completely authentic uniforms. So we're still working through that. Um, yeah. Music-wise, we've we've been doing very well on that. Um, we now have eight or nine, um, you know, period instruments that we're using. Mm -hmm. I, I think I have a couple of tenor horns that are uh, not playable. Mm. Um, but so we have four cornets, two E, two E flat cornets and two B flat cornets that are um, we're using. And we have five players, so one is still playing a, a modern instrument. Our tuba player decided to buy an instrument came available. Uh, and I'll tell you more about our, I don't know if we have the sugar daddy or not, but we, we it became available and uh, he decided to purchase it. And um, it's a completely re restored Lion and Healy tuba, nice. but it's uh, side action rotary valve. Um, so period. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. We have one tenor horn that it, we're using that is period. Um, I think two of our players have purchased late 19th century tenor horns that just a little bit later in the period. We'd like to have something that's newer than uh, 1880. Gotcha. Um, How many members are in the band now? Uh, we have about 13, 14 members. Gotcha. And when you're referring to, to we, it, besides those few individuals, such as the tuba player and whatnot, that, that own the instruments, are all the other instruments your instruments? Band owned. Band owned. Okay. Band owned. Gotcha. So gotcha. Our, when we use our appearance and travels fees that we get from the places that we play goes into a kitty. And most of the time it goes for instruments, gotcha. it goes for music. And right now it's going to produce our first CD, but awesome. uh, most of the time it goes for, I've had to pass out some nice instruments this year because uh, I've saved the money for the CD. Yeah. Uh, uh, there've been a, been a couple of nice instruments out there. Anyhow. Uh, and then I have, uh, which is probably the prime, instrument of the collection. I have about an 1870 Ernst Seltman upright uh, top action rotary valve alto horn. Nice. And uh, as you know, I'm not an alto horn player. Mm -hmm. I'm not a French horn player. I'm a, I'm a baritone trombone player. So I've been having a hard time keeping alto horn players. Mm -hmm. And um, the band isn't prestigious enough that people say, I'll switch just to play in your band, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, I've, I've become, uh, I've become the alto horn player. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. I, I saw that you were listed in, as an alto horn player with the band. And then when you were talking earlier in the interview about baritone and trombone, I was like, Oh, there's going to be a switch somewhere. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. at some point. <laughs> you know, one time I had a band and, and I had to be the lead cornet in the band, not, not a civil mm -hmm. war band, something mm -hmm. else. I had to be the, you know, this comes from the music education background. You just got to do what, what you need to do, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we've yeah. got a member in the band at, at George Mason who is a euphonium player, but has kind of shifted a little bit to that alto horn role. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And has has really taken that on. And I, th I think he enjoys doing it. Yeah, yeah, he's he a music education major, too. So, you know, he uh -huh. comes from that, you know, you got to be able to kind of play everything, at least to model for students. So... Yeah. Right. Well, that's good. It's one way to get into a smaller mouthpiece. And it's really a nice instrument. Uh, you know, um, 
Hindemith, Paul Hindemith wrote a solo for alto horn. People play it on French horn, but it's written for alto horn, E flat alto horn. Hmm. So there is literature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you do you have a uh, a personal primary instrument besides the alto horn? Like, do you have like a, a prized either period trombone, baritone, tenor horn uh, that you own? Well, I do have a period trombone, but it's not a Civil War period. Hmm. Uh, I have one of the first uh, Con 8Hs that were produced in the mid-50s. And so that's sort of my prize. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. It's collecting dust. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Oh, that's awesome. What types of things are you guys thinking are going to be on this first recording project? Unless you don't want to talk about it, unless it's a secret. I don't know. No, it's not a secret. (laughs) We've done all the recording. Oh, so we have we discovered um, in the uh, 25th Massachusetts uh, books, we discovered a piece called Viva America. It's mm-hmm. a march. Uh, and uh, so that's on it. It's uh, so I don't know that anybody else has recorded that. Yeah, it's a, it's really nice. And uh, it has uh, some Italian sounds to it, too. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure uh, the the person who there's a piano music to that and if you've been following michael o'connor lately his research is going pre-civil war finding piano uh, music where there's no band uh thing uh existing yeah. and, uh, we know that yeah. that this piece was published uh, published in i think 1863 by uh, oliver ditson in mm-hmm. boston uh, in a piano uh form by uh, uh a composer by the name of burdett so mm-hmm. if that's the person but it's a Really, a very nice march, and especially in the trio section, it has um, it has a very Italian-like uh, melodies yeah. to it. So it's mostly uh, concert rep, and not really the uh, the pops, like the Civil War pops music oh, kind well, of thing. We've got, we've got my arrangement of uh, when Johnny comes marching home on oh, it, cool. mm-hmm. and it's kind of a <laughs> model railroad is called talk about kit bashing. Do you know that term, kit bashing? Mm-hmm. Right, kit bashing is as they take. Two two uh, kits are like maybe a boxcar kit from two different uh, companies, and they just, they make a boxcar that's using parts from both of them, and they kind of okay. bash the two kits together. Got you, got you. So my arrangement of uh, when Johnny comes marching home is kit bashed from some existing uh, arrangements. Um, uh, let's see what else. So there's a, a unique piece on it. I discovered a piano sheet music, um, and uh, there's a music library. In, in Lincoln, Nebraska, that has some old piano music. And it's called the Omaha Guards Waltz. Hmm. So when the regiment marched out, they still needed a militia. They established a militia. And somebody wrote a waltz for their you know annual military ball. Well, it turns out that the person who wrote this was a, a Viennese immigrant, a violinist and a conductor, and obviously composer. He actually led the first orchestras in Omaha, besides teaching violin. He was a lieutenant in this militia, and he wrote this waltz, and it's a Viennese waltz. Can you imagine a Viennese waltz <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, yeah. in the United States? So I've, I've arranged uh, it from the piano, uh, and yeah, and it's a Viennese waltz, all right. That's and um, so that's on, on there. Um, so let's see, the battle hymn quick steps on there. We have a version of red, white, and blue, mostly uh, based on the uh, first brigade bands, uh, national quick step, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Do you guys have like a, a window, like a time frame that you're kind of aiming for for getting this thing out? Oh, yeah, it's, well, <laughs> it's taken longer than we wanted. So all the recording and post-production has been done. We're waiting, um, waiting on the master copies of that to come in to send it out to have it duplicated. Mm-hmm. And I have to write the liner notes and gotcha, gotcha. You know, things like that yet uh, for it. But so I'm hoping that it's out by summer. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait a minute. It is summer. The other summer. Soon. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, please. Pl- our, uh, my, I, I hope it's out by our next gig. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, we'll probably hear about it online, but also please keep us up to date with that. Also, we'd like to help promote that for you guys when that comes down. We'll add it to the uh discography resource that we have on the uh on the website so, great yeah thank you very cool yeah definitely <laughs> um i guess Stephen, along the lines of period instruments you always have a, a go-to that you like to ask oh. in relation <laughs> yeah so what are, are you using period mouthpieces or, or modern mouthpieces uh so a mix gotcha so as you may know matching a period horn to a mouthpiece is really tough Um, for instance we have a baritone that we're not using here marvelous instrument except it has that problem that all older instruments have which is the octaves don't line up Um, Mm -hmm. and um, a mouthpiece makes a big difference also and and i must say that um a period mouthpiece came with a horn, but not the one that was the horn was built for. Yeah. So the notes slot differently depending on the mouthpiece that you're using. So Definitely. whether it's a whether a modern mouthpiece that'll slot one way, you know, a period mouthpiece slots another way, and depending on the period mouthpiece may also slot different ways. Yeah. So plus you also then have the player. Are they comfortable with the mouthpiece? Mm-hmm. So our E-flat players are all playing modern mouthpieces, although one is a German mouthpiece that is pretty much a copy of a period American mouthpiece. Um, I think he uses that in British Brass Band too. Um, And at least one of our B-flat cornet players is playing on a period mouthpiece that he's found very comfortable to play with and um it has helped uh, he's got a very nice boston cornet that he's playing on and oh, cool. uh, and and um it's really helped to do that um our tuba player ha- has gone through two or three different uh, period mouthpieces to find something that that fits and uh let me see i don't know about any of the tenor horn players whether they're playing on a period mouthpiece or not I currently am not. I played with a got the period mouthpiece with my horn, and I've used it at um, at times. And uh, I don't know. It's just it, I have a very nice Yamaha modern mm-hmm. mouthpiece that mm-hmm. works really well with a horn, and so I'm not. Um, I understand the need for authenticity, and I'd say that we're growing to that. But we don't have access to enough mouthpieces to yeah. to be able to satisfy our players, mm-hmm. and um, it's just another step. 
that we're, yeah, yeah. you know, we're only, we've only played five seasons. This is our sixth year. And of course we're not playing because nobody's yeah. playing. It's got an uh, asterisk next to year number six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we're still a young band. We're, you know, buying instruments as we have funds for them. And, um, and we're just, we're, we're growing in authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that's the way it is <laughs> yeah we're we're finding that uh that's the case you know with with every single band you nobody well i'm sure somebody has been able to but generally people aren't able to be like okay i'm gonna start a band and then go out and buy all the uniforms all the music all the instruments and show up on uh, at their first gig with a brand new ensemble that's ready to go you know so hold my beer i do know somebody who did that oh uh, yeah who is it which one did that? <laughs> this is uh, the Liberty Band of Iowa. Mm. Uh, and, and this is uh, maybe our sugar daddy. That's where we've gotten several horns from. Um, so the uh, Steve Sprague, who is the uh, leader and owner, is a, uh, an, a an antiques dealer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that helps. So, yeah. so he's, he's managed to buy uh, horns all over the place. He has all of them restored. Oh. Uh, he bought a complete set of uniforms um, from a, a company. Of, and I guess if he gets a new player and he doesn't have a uniform that fits, I guess he buys the uniform. So oh. he owns everything for his band. Oh. And um, the reason we've got some horns is we decided we want to be an upright bell band and not an over-the-shoulder bell. For one reason, they're a lot less expensive. Yeah, sure. um, but also it uh, it's a little flexible uh more flexible with the upright bell why because at christmas time we do some british brass band mm-hmm. christmas music there you go mm-hmm. <laughs> you read out of the salvation army books Is that... uh, no actually well i i have bought some they have some smaller salvation army band christmas collections they're not for the full complement mm-hmm. and yeah, so yeah. They pretty much fit our band, nice. and uh, they produced like two sets of those. Uh, we don't. I'd rather play out of the Sammy Nestico than playing out of. Do you know the Sammy Nestico? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, um, the school district where I went to middle and high school. Okay. Um, they have like a holiday breakfast for the faculty every year, and um, the well, a number of the band directors have gotten like a group of the music faculty and some alumni to come through. And those Sammy Nestico books are fun. There are a lot of, there are a lot of good arrangements in those books. Well, there's also, if you go on the Moravian foundation, they have uh, three different collections of small brass uh, Christmas music that, that you can get through the Moravian foundation. So yeah, that that's going to be our band's next, acquisition when with next year's budget is we're going to get some moravian brass christmas music which i think will will uh work well for us yeah well i'll have to look into that because um Mm. i have a lot of respect for them not just because of the 26th north Mm. carolina but um do you know that they have some harmony music too uh oh i know i know that they can be regarded as being one of the the first brass performers in the new world basically so, yeah well yeah. when i was doing some of my my uh harmony music research and stuff like that i ran across some pieces that they had um i want to say i'm not don't quote me on this name but i i think it's like 
John, Michael, Michelle, or Michael, it might be the last mm-hmm. name. And there's some six, six part. So two clarinet, two horn, and two bassoon. And there's a, there's a couple of them at least down there. And I was really surprised to find that. So, of course, everybody who's a trombone player knows about the Moravian trombone choirs. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I don't know how we got there. I just yeah. okay, Christmas music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we decided to to be an upright bell band because of the flexibility, and because the price of over the shoulder instruments are so much more expensive, and you know we would still be waiting to buy our first E flat tuba if we were you know <laughs> if we were trying to buy one of those with what we make off of our <laughs> summer yeah. gigs, you know. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, what ends up happening then is Steve has been funneling some of his upright instruments because he's decided that he's going to be an over-the-shoulder gotcha, band. Gotcha. By the way, they've built a bandwagon, too. Oh, they yes, have one? So they nice. go around the summer parades, <laughs> and they have a bandwagon that's kind of, uh, that they've built. Uh, they've got some plans and stuff from an original one, and um, I guess but, he must be a little bit of a woodworker too. <laughs> they, have a, they have a truck pulling it, or they have a horse pulling it. Well, I think they've had a truck pulling it. But, yeah, yeah. There you uh, go. Uh, the uh, modern uh, version, the modern equivalent of a horse. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> so I hope it's better than when we played in a parade on the back of a flatbed. I'll tell you. <laughs> Those are not fun. <laughs> no, we do. Uh, no. That one of the other. I, Pennsylvania is great, or at least where I grew up in Pennsylvania, there's so many community bands around. Like there, I've there was a summer I played with three community bands, and I didn't really have to travel that far from my parents' house. But we always did a Memorial Day parade with one of them on the back of a flatbed, and most of the parade route is straight. But then when you turn, we got to stop playing and brace all the chairs for the turn yeah. because some, yeah. sometimes the driver would uh, forget that he's got. 20 people on the back of the truck. <laughs> we, we did this one where the, the tractor, the, one of the rear tires of the tractor went flat as we were in the parade. So by the end of the parade, it was terrible. Everybody starts sliding to one corner of the, <laughs> of the flatbed. Hopefully that's the only thing that went flat during that performance. Uh, <laughs> no, well, because our bands go sharp, don't they? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Especially out in the sun. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, man. There was one thing you asked about that we could talk about was some of our, uh, I don't know, favorite gigs or unusual gigs, Mm -hmm. special gigs. Yeah. Um, And so I guess there there are four um, that um, stand out for us. The first one would have been uh, last summer we played in Northfield for the uh, Vintage Band Festival. Mm-hmm. It was our first time there, and we just had a great time. The, the largest audiences that we've ever played for great. Um, were, were up there, and we enjoyed interacting with the other bands, and a lot of our players just went and listened and listened and listened and listened uh, all the time. And uh, so it was, it was just a wonderful experience for us. We hope they invite us back when they uh, have their next one. Uh, so that's one. Uh, the most unusual one that we had was in February of 2018. Um, the International Quilt Museum in Lincoln, Nebraska uh, had a an exhibit of Ken Burns's quilts, most of which were Civil War era quilts. Oh, wow. So everybody knows who Ken Burns is because of the <laughs> Civil War yeah. uh, series and, and many other 
wonderful documentaries and nobody knew that he was a quilt uh, yeah, collector <laughs> but he is and so they had this and the, and uh, the daughter of our drummer said hey we could get the band here to play the opening so we mm -hmm. did an opening concert for the the museum uh, for the quilt exhibit and it was wonderfully attended we had a really wonderful and very appreciative crowd so cool. we did that awesome. one um, let's see in October of 2016 one of the towns far west from us about three hours away um, had a bandstand that was a hundred years old hmm. and they're very very proud of their hundred year old bandstand and so they contacted us and said would you do the rededication concert for mm -hmm. our 100-year-old bandstand, and they they fixed it all up and they repainted it, and That's uh, they put That's us up in a hotel overnight, and you know just treated us like kings the whole time. And so we had a wonderful time in that community playing uh, the rededication concert for their bandstand. And guess what? It fit our band. You ever wonder why those bandstands are always so small? Because <laughs> the bands were small, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They were built for 60-piece high school bands, right? <laughs> they were built for 15-piece bands. Yeah. So we did that one. That was great. And um, and then just last year, uh, the we have a, a, a residence called the Joslin Castle. Now, the Joslin name is very big in Omaha, um, a wealthy patron. The uh, art museum is named after uh, the Joslin, so they probably you know, gave all the money for it. Well, they have this marvelous mansion. Um, it looks like a castle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a museum. Everybody goes to it and everything. Well, back in 1880, the Joslins decided to have a summer lawn party <laughs> and to invite all of their friends from the city of Omaha. And so Omaha had, uh, it has Fort Omaha. At that time, there was a band at Fort Omaha. And so they got the army band to come out and to play a concert on the lawn while they were having, you know, beer and playing croquet and <laughs> doing whatever else that they did. So they decided to do one of those last summer. Nice. And it's the first one they've had since 1880. Wow. And so they contacted us to come out and play for it. And we had a wonderful time. There's some pictures on our website if you browse through some of the yeah, yeah. blog gigs and stuff. Uh, we just had a wonderful time doing that so those are our maybe four standout gigs yeah that's awesome that's cool that you guys are doing a variety of different performances you know it's not you know strictly just like battlefield reenactments and, and that well, kind we, of thing. Don't, <laughs> we don't have that exactly yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you, know, you know it's not like you can go from um fredericksburg to uh richmond and every half hour play a battlefield yeah game. seriously yeah, yeah yeah definitely here the closest the closest battlefield is, I think, on the um, Iowa uh, Missouri border, and it's just like a minor skirmish. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we haven't um, we haven't even gone to like uh, Fort Donaldson or Shiloh, where the historical performances were. Those are kind of far away. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we haven't done that. But and then we have places we go um, where we play for senior citizens. Gotcha. Um, and uh, there's a, a small town in South 
uh, central Nebraska called Superior that has a lot of Victorian homes. So their festival is a Victorian festival. Mm -hmm. And this would have been the third time that we would have played uh, out there for their, their festival. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's the older people in town that remember band concerts, summer band concerts. Mm -hmm. And they come out and they're a really wonderful crowd. And we do that at several places. We play several sesquicentennials and things like that. So yes, a variety. Yeah, a variety yeah. of things. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Glad to hear that your performances are are healthy and still going during nor <laughs> no normal circumstances. Not not this summer, but <laughs> but otherwise, that's great. Yeah, and and I know that there's some bands that are having difficulties because there seems to be a waning interest in some of the Civil War events. Mm -hmm. And so if they're, you know, been doing mostly Civil War events, um, they're having some difficulty keeping their calendars full. But <laughs> since we don't have any out Yeah, here, yeah, there you go. You, you, could, you could be the example for, for bands <laughs> over the rest of the country for uh, other <laughs> opportunities. Yeah, that's great. I do, I am interested, especially being a newer you know, quote unquote, newer band, five, six year old band. Uh, if you guys have needed to, or on your own thought about how you guys would approach, uh, playing music of the civil war and portraying, uh, the civil war time period, especially, you know, at the time of this recording, it's June, 2020. So especially like in this climate, I know, um, even before all this was happening that, some people are always just wary of mentioning or talking about the Civil War because of bringing up any sort of ill feelings or any sort of controversy. And for some people, that has been a deal breaker and a barrier for even getting into the hobby and into the, the music. So I was, I was wondering what your thoughts are kind of on that and how, how you guys have decided to navigate that, if it's, ne if it's even needed to come up in Nebraska. I don't even know. Actually, it hasn't come up at all. Um, this is a very strong um, northern um, part of the country, strong union. Um, so there are a lot of German immigrants that um, founded Nebraska and a lot of western Iowa. And the reason that they immigrated was because they believed in liberty. You know, they're, this is post-1848 uh, revolutions in there that they're coming over and they they were very much anti-slavery so they have very strong northern feel but we don't we don't run into any problems at all uh, as a matter of fact since Nebraska was a territory and most of the places got started after the Civil War mm -hmm. uh, most of the people don't know much about the Civil War at all mm -hmm. Well, yeah. wasn't, it, wasn't the Kansas-Nebraska Act that basically made the Nebraska Territory uh, a free territory in the Kansas right. Territory? Yeah, yeah. But the people would have been free anyhow. They would, they mm. would have never uh, been a, a slave state. They, they mm. wanted no part of that. Mm. Um, so we, we just haven't run into it. They don't know much about the Civil War here. Mm. Our focus for our programming has been let's find the best music that we can play the best quality music the best arrangements and all of that let's find the really good stuff to play mm -hmm. and let's tell the people what we're playing why we're playing it mm -hmm. uh let's talk about the life of the soldier what was their daily life 
like did they know that band played for funerals um you know that what you know well what about when they got out of town and the officers wanted to have a ball with the people in the town we have to have some something like that well what about when the officers wanted to have the band come over and play after the mess mm-hmm. well they wanted some opera aria or something like that yeah. and so we've had a very we've had a, a varied program uh of things and uh, again we look for the best that we could we could find and so we we haven't programmed anything that would be basically minstrel i mean dixie because everybody yeah. they need that's the one piece everybody knows right is dixie yeah. so you guys so, so you guys do play dixie yeah. yeah um yeah we have you know there's what two or three nice quick step arrangements oh dixie. yeah 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 there's some and great so, music out there so we alternate uh we play this one one year next year we'll play a different one mm-hmm. try to keep the musicians interested and fresh true so i, I think that that's the, the thing about our band that, and I'm not, I'm sure other guys do too, but I, I'm very, uh, very careful to make sure that our musicians stay interested in what we're playing by giving them quality things to play, giving the, at least the people that are on the tougher parts challenges. You know, those of us that play after beats don't get too many challenges, but you <laughs> hey. know, the other people it's important. And uh, so, um, yeah, we, we just haven't run into a problem with it at all. Interesting. Great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Bill. Where can people go to find more about you, the band, and uh, the recording project that you guys are working on? Okay. Well, um, certainly our website, uh, it's firstnebraskaband.wordpress.com. Now the first in first Nebraska is one S T. So it's not F I R S T it's one S T Nebraska band.wordpress.com. There's some audio files uh, on there. They're older audio files, but some good ones on there. Some photos. We have a kind of running blog, except it's not much lately uh, Mm -hmm. on there of uh, gigs that we've played and some of our instrument photos and things are on there. Um, things like that. So people could find out about the band uh, from there. And uh, my contact information is there if they're uh, interested in having the band uh, come and play. If they're close enough, if you have any listeners that are out in this part of the country, if mm-hmm. they're close enough that uh, we'd love to, to go and play for them. So we have that. And then we've recorded a CD. It's not ready for release yet. As soon as it is, we'll certainly post that on the website and then uh, make sure that we get information to you guys so that uh, you can post it. We thank you for doing that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool, cool, cool. All right, well, thank you so much, Bill, for coming out onto Zoom this, <laughs> this afternoon <laughs> and speaking with us. It was awesome getting to meet you finally. We've been talking for a while. Finally get the yeah. chance to meet you and, and talk. This has been awesome being able to talk about European bands and, and your band and the history of Nebraska. You know, it's... It was a lot, but it was it was awesome. It was a lot of great information. So thank you so much for 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 being with us today. Thank you. You guys are great hosts, and <laughs> I just you. really enjoyed talking with you and, and being on. Uh, it just seems like we were sitting across the table from each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah first, we just we just need a beer, right? <laughs> well, now it's after twelve, so now I could. But... <laughs> right. 
thank you again to Dr. William Hall, a.k.a. Bill Hall, for coming onto the podcast and speaking with us. Really nice guy. A lot of fun. A lot of really good information. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed learning a lot about that, the early pre-Civil War band stuff and even Nebraska history in general. I, I hope you guys enjoyed it because we certainly did. I know I didn't really know anything about Nebraska's direct involvement uh, during that time period, so it was cool chatting about that. Yeah, I knew nothing about uh, Nebraska's involvement in the Civil War, so that was neat to learn a little bit there. So if you enjoyed what you heard, uh, be sure to follow us on social, all social media platforms. We've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, everything. We're everywhere. Bam, uh, bam, we bam, bam. <laughs> right. I feel like I need sound effects for that, that part. <laughs> but uh, no, we post some exclusive stuff on social media. Um, so if you follow us uh, wherever you'd like, uh, you can stay up to date with everything we're putting out. You can get in touch with us on social media. You can also email us at eabbpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or suggestions for us, uh, drop us a line. Is that something people say? Drop us a line? Just sure. get in touch. It is, love it to is hear now. From you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we look forward to interacting with you on social media and uh, through email. This episode's featured album, we're doing something a little bit different today. So you heard that Bill was talking about his uh, band CD that will be coming hopefully within the next year. Uh, that will not be the featured album, just keep that on your radar. But our featured album, quote unquote, is going to be actually uh, still the first Nebraska brass band uh, through their website's audio file. So please go to firstnebraskaband.wordpress.com. Uh, that's the First Nebraska Volunteers Brass Band website. And at the top, you'll see a tab that says audio files. If you click on that, as I am doing in real time, uh, <laughs> you will see a SoundCloud embedded where you can listen to a handful of uh, previous recordings by Bill Hall's band. So please check them out and have a listen to some great music over there. Yeah, there are eight tracks there. So I guess maybe we'll call that an, an EP. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like an yeah, EP. We'll, we'll run with that. So go, go check them out. Uh, there's some good music there for you to listen to. Cool. So thank you again so much for tuning in for this episode of the Early American Brass Band Podcast. We appreciate your support, and we look forward to speaking for you. At you, to you, who knows? We'll one talk to you later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have a good one. Thank you.